0: Welcome to Champion Church the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. In the last installment of the series, Headlines, we will examine how fear so often keeps us from seeing God working in people and even in ourselves. We will find that God calls questionable people to do his work, even to lead his church. You know, today is... We've been talking about testifying pretty much almost since Easter. And it's not necessarily the way that we thought testifying would would lead us, right? We think of testimonies of standing up and sharing and speaking and things like that. But in the past few weeks since Easter, we began to understand that testifying, bearing witness to the resurrection isn't just in what we say it's not just in what we experience but it's what we do it's how we live it's how we give it's how we serve and on Easter Sunday we celebrated the 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 headline he is risen right amen he is risen indeed and as we began this journey we we realized that the reason why we know that he is risen isn't just because there was an empty tomb and not just because there were grave clothes you know, properly put in the grave, not just because people saw Jesus after He died, but because those same people began living in a way that reflected His resurrection. In other words, how people who call themselves Christians, disciples, how they live shows that Jesus really did rise from the dead, raised from the dead. And the reason why is because there was no reason to live the way that Jesus taught if he was still dead. There's no reason to. There's no reason for us ever to say, love people, even your enemies. There's no reason to say that if Jesus did not overcome death. And so over the past few weeks, we've been looking into how the people of God bear witness to that resurrection. And by looking at these different stories, like a news organization, by looking at the headlines that they might have made in the interesting ways that they lived. Now, the interesting thing about headlines and news is that as we look into this this story for information to sort of understand meaning, right. We talked about that very first week that news exists for us to make the best decision possible, right at least in, in the ideal way. And, and the thing about news is that they just share information so that we can make the best inf- best decision possible. But sometimes information, You don't even have to put a slant on it. You don't have to put any kind of bias on it or anything like that. Sometimes information becomes too much information. And when too much information comes to us, we begin to react in interesting ways, right? In fact, have you ever ever felt like, I didn't need to know all of that, right? You ever felt that way? Anybody ever felt that way, right? And the reason why is because when we hear too much information sometimes, it wells up within us a reaction, quite honestly, I don't think that the news originally intended to do, but it does. It causes fear. It causes fear in people. And if you watch... It, it, it's, it's understandable, right? I mean, can you blame us? When, when the headline on the news is, is simply, a drug deal went wrong, went, went bad two blocks from where I live, I become slightly scared because that was two, that's two blocks from where I live, right? Or we think about when you see the headlines that there are shootings that happen in places that we never ever thought would happen, like shopping malls and waffle houses and movie theaters. And when you go in the movie theater and the lights go down, and you see the, the, the slide that says, make sure you know where the closest exit is. All of a sudden, in the back of your minds, that fear comes up. What if somebody is carrying some weapon and goes nuts on us, right? We are, when we hear about corporations merging and we've heard multiple times when corporations merge that oftentimes they eliminate jobs. And we begin to think, Am I next? What's going to happen to me and my family? Or, of course, all of us are a product of September 11th, 2001, when we watched in shock the events that transpired in New York, in Washington, in Pennsylvania. And fear crept into our minds. Who would do this? What can I do about it? How can I make sure that this never happens again? And that fear gives us these questions of, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to my family? And those are the questions that begin a move towards keeping things the way they are or keeping things at arm's length. In other words, fear so often causes us to look inside and protect ourselves and to close down any idea that might be different from us. Fear is the reason why we don't accept people. Fear is the reason why there's racism in the world. Fear is the reason why there's war in the world. And it's when we become ingrained in such a way that we just begin to worry. What about, what if, what about me? What about us? What about us? Now, as I've shared with you, the headlines that the church made were real, have been really good so far. But believe it or not, there was still fear within the church after Jesus' resurrection. Even though they began going out into the public world and they began saying, He is risen! And that was that was a huge thing to overcome, a huge amount of fear to overcome. They would take care of one another in such a way that they would sell their possessions so that nobody would have a need. That takes... A great hurdle over fear. Last week we talked about Philip reaching out to the eunuch who was totally different than who Philip was. That was a huge jump over the hurdle of fear. But believe it or not, it wasn't all automatic. (laughs) Believe it or not, still within the church there was prejudice. There were still these thoughts about how things might be. And the person who experiences this in our story today is one of the main leaders of the church at the very beginning. His name's Peter. Peter, who, who, who hung out with Jesus for three years, following Him everywhere, hearing the lessons, hearing these things like love your enemy, all of these different kinds of things. Believe it or not, even after the resurrection, even after he received the Holy Spirit, he still struggled and it was very it's very evident in the story that we're going to read about today but by the end by the end of this account that we read i believe that the headline that would have been written about this story is this movement elevates questionable leaders movement elevates questionable leaders And so this story is found in Acts chapter 10. And I'm going to paraphrase a lot of it because there's 48 verses in Acts chapter 10. And if I just sat up here reading 48 verses, some of you are already going to sleep now. You would be asleep, right? Just kidding. But Acts chapter 10 begins, not actually with Peter, but with a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. He was a Gentile as we would call him. And he didn't grow up in a religious background. In fact, as a centurion, it would mean that he would have had allegiance to the Roman Empire. Roman Empire, for all of its amazing grand things that they built and things like that, they also oppressed people like Jews. And so he, his job was a part of oppressing Jews at one point in time. But Cornelius has seemed to have a change of heart at the beginning of chapter 10 because he's beginning to to give to religious people like Jews. And he begins searching for God and he begins praying. And have you ever been thrown into a situation where you don't know what you're doing and you're just trying to figure out what to do? I have a feeling that's something that Cornelius felt at some point. Because guess what? He had never been to temple to worship to hear a prayer and things like that. So I'm sure like Cornelius' prayers are like, um, God? Is this how I do this? Is this thing on? You know, like, <laughs> there there's probably, there was no reference point for him to address God in any kind of way. He didn't necessarily follow Jesus around for three years either. But Cornelius has been led... To to do this. And then, in the midst of all of this, he receives a supernatural message. Now, I don't know exactly how these come, but he feels God calls him to invite Peter, who we just talked about, over. Come over to my house, Peter. So he sends out the invitation. Meanwhile, Peter... Is somewhere else. He's doing his own thing. He goes to sleep one night. And he has a weird dream because all of a sudden, this dream says to Peter, he says, a voice says, Hey, I want you to eat this. Now, what was what he was saying to eat was something that Jews didn't eat. Their religion required them to stay away from certain dietary things. In fact, Still to this day, Jews don't eat certain things, right? They can't eat the 99-cent the package of hot dogs. You have to get the, the $4 hot dogs, where it says kosher on it. Right? But this diet, if, if, if Peter would eat this, he would be considered unclean. Now, the reason why he's like no, why would I do that? It's because it's ingrained with him. This is what he has lived his entire life as a Jew. It it wasn't just a religious standpoint. It was he wants to stay in the right relationship with God constantly. And so when he receives this, 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 this dream, he's very hesitant at first. And then, the voice tells him this very, very important sentence. We have it up here on the screen here. This very important sentence in verse 15. Never consider unclean what God has made pure. Never consider unclean what God has made pure. So then he wakes up. That was weird. <laughs> you ever had a weird dream before? And you're like, that was weird. Yeah, yeah, okay. Same kind of thing. Well, just as he's waking up and as he's going along, all of a sudden he receives the invitation from Cornelius. Hey, why don't you come to my house, okay? And Peter's like, he's a Gentile. They do things weird. And I'm also remembering that if I go into a Gentile's house, I'll be considered unclean. All of a sudden that religious tradition, like, it's ingrained in him he's fearful he's fearful of of being found in the wrong he's he's fearful of Cornelius because of all of these laws and things that he grew up with basically but because of the spirit because of this invitation and the spirit sort of moves him he goes so he gets to Cornelius's house okay and the best part about this is that Peter remains as outspoken as he has always been. And so he gets there, he opens the door, and, you know, there's this, you know, hi, how you doing, that kind of thing. And he goes in verse 28, and he, this is what he says to them, this is like, it's like, hey, how you doing? Peter goes, y'all realize that it's forbidden for a Jew to associate or visit with outsiders. However, God has shown me I should never call a person impure or unclean. He moves on. For this reason, when you sent for me, I came without objection. I want you to know then why you sent for me. In other words, I'm uncomfortable. I don't think I should be here. But I had this weird dream, so I had this inkling that maybe I should come, so tell me why I'm here. Because if it's not a good reason, I'm taking, I'm I'm leaving. He keeps Cornelius in his household at arm's length very simply because this fear that to associate with Cornelius, a guy who probably doesn't know that much about God, who has done things that are questionable morally, who has not been a part of God's people, he's fearful of that. And he says this. I can't believe he says this like this. Well, Cornelius shares, well, the reason I called you here is because I had this dream that, and I'm pretty sure it was God telling me to invite you over. And Peter's like, uh, what now? You're a Gentile. How in the world would you receive a message from God? What are you, what are you talking about? You're a Roman centurion. You, were, you are a part of the, the state, the empire, that killed my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, you got a dream. Cornelius is like, Yeah. And then all of a sudden, something changes within Peter because he comes to the realization, all of, these, all of these teachings, all of these sayings that Jesus had said about loving your neighbor and loving all people, loving your enemies, this, this concept that everybody's going to be drawn to him, begins to make sense finally. And Peter's prejudice begins to melt away in this moment. And it's really obvious because in verse 34, he says this amazing verse that I think a lot of people need to hear more often. Peter said, I really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. I really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Translation: There's nobody who is favored more than God than, than another by God. No country is better than another country. No race is better than another race. No gender has more control over a gender. God doesn't show partiality. He loves every person the same and will go to the ends of the earth so that every person would be in relationship with him. But Peter, in this moment, he could have given over to fear. He could have given in to what he's always known. He could have given in to that prejudice that has developed as a Jew. No! You can't have a vision from God because you're a Gentile. And yet there's people in the church today that say you can't have God or a relationship with God until you fit the -the fill-in-the-blank mold. No, God is working among all of us equally. And Cornelius had ears to hear and eyes to see. So, Peter, as he did not give in to fear, begins preaching, because that's what he's called to do. He's called to go and make disciples of all the nations. And so, you know what? He's going to start preaching. He shares the very simple gospel. The gospel is this. Jesus died so that our sins would be forgiven. And he raised from the dead so that we would have everlasting life with him. That's the gospel. That's the thing that is still true today. It's what I I try to say somehow every single week to each and every one of you. Because it's true. Jesus died on the cross so that you and I would be free from sin and to live a new life in Him, a new identity, an identity that is drenched in love and peace and hope and joy. And all you have to do is respond to Him and say, yes, I accept your grace, your gift of life. And you begin to follow Him in everything. In other words, you begin to live as if the resurrection actually happened. But as Peter begins to preach, I'm going to do a clickbait headline here. You won't believe what happened next. Here it is. In verse 44-48, through 48, this is what we read. While Peter was still speaking, while he's preaching, while he's doing what he's called to do, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard the word. And the circumcised believers, the Jews, the Jews who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. And they had heard them speaking in other languages and praising God. And Peter asked, these people have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Surely no one can stop them from being baptized with water, can they? And he directed that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, Then they invited Peter to stay several days. They received the Holy Spirit just like the people who were closest with Jesus, the people who were Jews their entire life, the most religious possible. They received the same exact experience as them. God worked in somebody who was unexpected. They have received the same gift that those who have followed God their entire lives, right then and there. Now, The funniest thing about this is that in some traditions, Cornelius doesn't just become a believer. There are some faith traditions like the Coptic Church and the Orthodox Church that have it written down that Cornelius followed Peter after Peter was done there. And he went to go hang out with the apostles. And Cornelius began to learn more and more and more as he was given this grace with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit upon him. And later, Peter would make him a bishop. Cornelius, who was not religious at all, who did not know anything about what God has done in the past, in just a few short, maybe months or years, becomes a leader in the church of Jesus Christ. That's a bit questionable though, isn't it? After all, I mean, he might have those old allegiances with Rome. What if he's an agent to, to take down the church? Or what if? What if he says the wrong thing theologically? What if he what if he does something different that we've never seen before? What if... oh my. What if Cornelius is a more effective evangelist than Peter? What what if? What if? What if? What if? See what happens when fear creeps in? It keeps us from accepting the new work that God has done in somebody's life. And it's really funny that Peter had to go through this because... Here's here's a reminder about Peter, okay? When Jesus called Peter to be a disciple, Peter was fishing. And here's what this means, okay? If Peter was fishing, it means that he was rejected by the the temple, the religious people. saying you're not good enough to become a rabbi. That's what it means. So whenever you get rejected by rabbis, you do what your dad does. Peter was not good enough. And yet Jesus says, hey, come here. Follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Peter wasn't qualified. And yet Peter forgets that God has continuously throughout time worked through people who were unexpected or unequipped. People who think that they can't do it. I think Andy Stanley says it in the best way possible. The Bible is full of illustrations of God calling and prodding people into service in spit. There's supposed to be an E there. That's, and that's my fault right there. I typed this, okay? <laughs> the Bible is full of illustrations of God calling and prodding people into service in spite of their overwhelming sense of inadequacy. And in every instance, in every instance, their faith in God got bigger. In other words, friends, in the church, Your family going to a church for 150 years doesn't make you a bigwig. It doesn't make you more qualified to be a leader than somebody else. That means that no amount of money that you have will get you more pull. It means that no stature... Moral belief or perspective will give you more pull. In the church, there is no race that is superior. There is no country that is ordained. There is no gender that controls. There is no education that makes you better than somebody else. There are only people in the church who are called by God to live with Him. That's it. And it doesn't matter if somebody comes into this building on a Sunday morning from the wrong side of town. It doesn't matter if there are addictions in somebody's past. It does not matter what we have personally done before. All that there is is the grace of Jesus Christ and the spirit that lives within us to live and love together as God has called us to live. There are two really important understandings I think we need to realize from this story, friends. There are two really important facets of of this news story that we need to hear so that we can make a better decision for tomorrow and moving forward. The first is this. Nothing can stop God from working in and through unexpected people. And we need to have our eyes open and invite new people into the work of God. This this reality here is for you who believe in Christ, who are working for Christ in all kinds of things. You're doing things. You might even be here. uh, You've helped out with some very important things going on here in the church or in the community and all these things you're established as a servant of Christ. Don't let that create a blind spot for you. We are all called to have our eyes open and to invite new people into the work of God. And it might be the person who has been on Welfare their entire life. It might be the person who is just a week clean from heroin. It might be the former prostitute. It might be a former inmate. It might be somebody who just annoys the snot out of you. <laughs> it can be as simple as that. It really can. Somebody put on, on Facebook this past week, and I'm going to paraphrase because I, I didn't I, I should have included this quote. Don't think of somebody who's giving you difficulty as somebody who is who's giving you difficulty. Think of them as being an active part of sanctifying you. In other words, making you more dependent upon God, more, more patient, more kind, more loving. Because guess what? God is working in all of our lives. And the question is, are we at those moments, has God given us this moment to invite them in to a life of freedom from sin and life everlasting? As the angel told Peter, never consider Unclean what God has made pure. The second thing, and this is more geared towards maybe if you've been, you've always wondered what God has been leading you to do or to, to, to be a part of the church and you're just, just not exactly sure what to do next and all these different kinds of things, okay? Here we go. And this is going to hit us all pretty hard. Don't be surprised when God calls you to do something you feel you are unprepared for or what you think someone else is more equipped to do. And this is the biggest thing. This is why people come to church and then they leave church. It's because they come in and they sit down and like, you know what, the pastor is pretty good. He has a nice shirt on today. These people are nice and everything like that. But then three weeks later, we think, man, I'm tired. I really don't feel like I was a part of that church. I don't really need to go anymore. God has called each and every one of us who have accepted him as Christ to do something. And by the way, it's summed up like this. Make disciples of all nations. If you think you can come to church for the rest of your life and not have an impact on somebody with the Lord, you are not living a Christian life. You're a poser. You're a hypocrite. I know, that was really, that was, that was harsh. <laughs> yeah. And for us, who are here today, we have the opportunity to answer God's call in a way where we shed the fear that we might have. A fear of another person, the fear of the conflict that might arise in the way things are done, the fear of of being in uncomfortable places and uncomfortable times. All that fear goes away when we accept God's calling upon our life. It's not for somebody else in the church to do. It's not even for the pastor to do himself. And that's really tough sometimes. I didn't get a call from you, pastor, after I haven't been there for a day. (laughs) Has anybody else in the church called you? No. Hmm. Pastor, can you deal with this person over there? They're bugging me. What's bugging you? Do you have grievance with that person? Because I'm pretty sure God has called us to share our grievances with one another and then forgive one another on the other side of it. this person is weird and I just don't want to do this. Or, or this one. Pastor, I'm not called to do that. Really? So what are you doing and what is your calling? Because there's not a lot of doing to your call. Every single one of us has an opportunity to affect change in the world around us by living faithfully to the mission that he has given us. It's not somebody else's job to share Christ with the people that you're around and nobody else is around. It's not somebody else's job to reach out to the people who God has brought you into relationship with And to develop a friendship with that person. (laughs) Well, I'm not not really connecting with anybody. Have you talked to anybody lately? No. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, man, this is is tough. I feel like you're, you're sort of letting loose here, Pastor. Can you be a little nicer to me? Here's the good news. God will make you a better person when you begin to answer his call. It might be tough. It might require patience. It might require some... To be authentic, Some there, there's some risk there involved. I get it. I get the fear that every single one of us feels whenever God calls us to do something or speak to somebody or to forgive somebody. I get it. I get it. But Jesus has beaten sin and death. And what in the world? If that doesn't encourage us and help us to live in the Spirit, then I don't know what will. Our fear is gone. Let us live faithfully. I want to share a real quick story with you as we close today. When I was in Kansas City, I was a youth pastor. And the uh, thing about being a youth pastor is you're crazy. Uh, no, <laughs> you hang out with teenagers. And, and teenagers have... Teenagers have these, um, has this amazing capability to say, I can do anything in the world. But they never realize what doing that actually means, right? It's like taking too much at the buffet, and you're like, I'm really, really hungry. And you start piling and piling and piling and piling. And then you're down to the first thing, you're like, I took too much. That's what teenagers are with, with responsibility, with life, and with everything. It's because they're beginning to learn what it means to be an adult in the world, right? And so these teenagers, we went to this conference and they found out about this ministry that some other churches were doing. It was, I mean, it was a little bit further away, so it wasn't local at all. And this ministry was a they called it Baby Grace. And Baby Grace is this ministry that looks to help teenage moms and single moms of a certain age to get them diapers, to get them food. Because believe it or not, food stamps doesn't pay for certain things to take care of a baby. It doesn't help you get diapers. And we all know that kids continue to do that as they grow up. <laughs> if you run out of diapers, yeah, And I remember them coming to me and, and saying this. These are teenagers. We want to do this in our church. We want to head this up. And I'm like, do you realize what this means? <laughs> that's, that's the back of my mind. I am, I am always naturally to ask the question that like totally gets rid of, like throws away your dreams. We can do this. Have you thought about this? Oh. That, like that's my personality. But God shut my mouth. And I said, okay, well let's let's talk this through a little bit. Let's figure out what what this might mean. And then they went to some other adults on top of that. And we began sitting down. These teenage mentors who love these kids began to receive this passion too. And in tandem, Not me, the youth pastor, but in tandem, these ladies and these teenagers put together a ministry that is thriving now, seven years after the fact, that continue to reach moms who don't have the money to afford. They're still in school. They can't do all this stuff. And they're sharing Christ with them in every moment that they possibly can. I could have said, you're teenagers. No, you don't know what this means. But they were unequipped, and they were unexpected. And they began living into God's calling. And they are doing amazing work for the kingdom of God today. So I ask this question today as we end today. What is God calling us to do as a church? I know, make disciples of all nations. I've made that that's pretty clear. But who among us has God placed a calling on your life and you just never wanted to say it because you were afraid? Who among us have been coming to this church for so long but ha- hasn't connected beyond... Sunday morning because we're afraid. How is God going to work through us to reach people in the champion and worn area in such a way that they come to know Christ? Who is the next questionable leader in this church? Is it a former addict? Is it a single mom? Is it a single dad? Is it somebody who just became a Christian a few months ago? Is it a person who lives in the wrong side of the tracks? Who is it? Is it you? Is it one of our kids? Is it one of our teens? God, I believe, has some ideas and has some ways for us to connect with our community. And so today, if you feel, if you have had an inkling, a thought, write it down. Write it down in your connection card. And we'll start to talk about it. We'll start to talk about, is this something that is going to reach people for Christ? Is this living within the way that God has called us to live? I'm asking you that if you've ever felt that, to take a leap of faith today. Oh, And please, don't suggest something that you're not willing to be a part of yourself. Because it's not somebody else's job to do what your idea was. If we do this, if we begin to find ways to reach people for Christ, where they're at, where their needs are, I believe God can do something big in our community far beyond what we ourselves think is capable. But all we need are some committed servants answering the call that he has placed upon us. Are you willing to join me in this story? Are you willing to join the church ever since Christ's resurrection to continue to make headlines even today. Are you willing to live as Christ has called us to live and to live as if he actually did raise from the dead? Because after all, friends, this story, it's still developing. It doesn't end today and it only ends when he comes back. So how are we being a part of this developing story? Thank you for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. For more information about our ministries, visit us at championnaz.org.